So all of a sudden we have interest charges on top of the purchases we're putting on the credit card. And because we're still in the mindset that our lifestyle is reasonable, because it should be reasonable, but cost of living in our country is unreasonable, we realize how much credit card debt we actually have when it's too late and it's in the $10,000 or $20,000 range. And now it will take thousands of dollars a month to get out of it, which we don't have in the first place. Welcome to the Money Without Shame podcast. I'm your host, Amy Schultz, and I'm here to tell you that the story you've been believing about yourself and money isn't true. You're not bad at money. In fact, you were set up for failure from a lack of healthy money conversations growing up to societal conditioning to an economic system that just wasn't made for women. That's why I'm on a mission to remove the shame that I know so many of you feel about your money and empower you to take back control of your financial future. Each week, my guests and I are going to explore the truth behind why money has felt so challenging, using real stories from real women to reveal the external factors that influence our financial lives and offer a way to do and feel better about money without shame. You're not alone, and it's not all your fault. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Money Without Shame. I'm your host, Amy Schultz. Thanks for tuning in to Reset Your Relationship with Money. In this episode, I'm going to talk all about moms with credit card debt. But even if you aren't a mom, this is going to resonate with you if you have credit card debt or have ever found yourself in a situation with money that brings you more shame than you care to admit. I'll share a letter, okay, an email, but a letter sounds cooler, that I received from a mom who has followed me on social media for a while and gave me permission to share her story anonymously. I'll talk through my approach to managing the emotions she's experiencing around debt and the practical steps that she can take to reset her relationship with debt, because life does not have to be miserable while you're in debt. So let's go. Our story today comes from Jenna, which is not her real name, who is 35 and a mom of three little ones. Here is Jenna's money story. I grew up in a family that didn't talk about money. I saw my parents manage money in a traditional household setting where my mom stayed home and my dad worked all the time. My mom managed the money, and the only reason I know that is because they would fight about it whenever it was time to pay bills, and my dad asked where everything went. He always assumed my mom was making mistakes and overspending on things we didn't need, which I didn't see because we never had above and beyond the necessities. We had nice things, but nothing crazy. They actually still manage money like this today, getting by just fine, and they both work now, but always seeming to freak out about something related to money and blaming the other person. Other than this, they're a happy couple, so I think it oddly just works for them. I don't talk to anyone about money, especially not my parents, because my partner and I argue when we talk about it, and I'm too embarrassed to admit our situation to anyone. I have three kids under the age of six. My oldest just started kindergarten, and the other two are in daycare full-time. My partner and I both work, and we earn about $120,000 total and barely make ends meet, which feels ridiculous to say and is why I don't tell anyone. We both have good jobs and a beautiful home in Ohio, but are just not able to get out of debt and stay out. I manage the money, so it feels like my burden, but I know we share it and I should include them more in our financial reality, but it just leads to fighting. Right now, we have $20,000 in credit card debt and no savings other than our 401ks, which we are considering taking loans out of to pay off the debt. We are also considering a HELOC, or home equity line of credit, but interest rates are really high right now, so haven't pulled the trigger yet. 
This isn't new to us. When we first got married, we used a credit card to pay for our wedding because I didn't want to ask my parents for money and my partner's parents weren't able to help. Since then, it seems like credit cards are just part of our lives and I hate it. We've done debt consolidation programs and have at times had no credit card debt for maybe up to six months, but it always comes back up. It doesn't feel like we overspend. We do order food now and then, and kids are just expensive in general, but I'm afraid it's going to get worse as they get older and ask for more things. I'm not really sure what else to share. Hopefully that's enough. Whew, okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. When I first read Jenna's story, I was nodding along in agreement because there are parts of it that are so common, and it's why I picked it for my first letter to share on the podcast. So first of all, what Jenna described is the credit card debt cycle. You pay it off, it comes right back. You put all of your money towards credit card payoff, and then there's no money for savings or life or any of the other things you have to pay for, and so we build credit card debt again. It's emotionally draining because you feel like no matter what you do, you're just stuck. This is one of the most common scenarios I hear, and it's a very emotional one. It's not about knowing how to get out of debt. It's about the habits and behaviors that are keeping you stuck there. And it isn't talked about enough, so we'll come back to that. It's so interesting to me that the money dynamic Jenna described with her partner is so similar to the one she described with her parents. Every time they talk about it, there's fighting, lots of blame. One person is managing the money rather than working together on it. We tend to marry our parents, (laughs) I think. Also, I live in Ohio, and two kids in daycare is less expensive than other areas of the country, sure. But a family of five to be living on 120 k is just not what it used to be. I know quite a few families whose take-home pay is like 10 k a month, and after everything, they're still just barely making ends meet. Okay, so those are my initial takeaways. Here's what I want to go into. I don't coach someone without live permission to coach them in a situation where I can ask questions as I go instead of having to just assume one thing or another. So while I'm not going to coach Jenna right now, what I'm going to do is shed light on her situation and offer a different perspective to help everyone understand what might have led to her situation and what steps might work for her to get out of the debt cycle. But I want to caveat this, right? There's no one-size-fits-all approach to money. So what works for one person might not work for another. Two people can have the same exact experience and develop money relationships from them that are completely different. So the goal here is to help you think more deeply about why you are where you are if Jenna's story resonates with you so that you can take some of the blame off of yourself and feel more positive about your ability to do better. So let's start with emotions. Our money story, the thoughts, the feelings, the beliefs about money, are driving our behaviors. This is our emotional relationship to money, our money mindset, whatever you want to call it, and it's everything. The dynamic that Jenna experienced between her parents and what she's bringing into her life now is that her mom was managing the money and her dad always assumed that she was doing it wrong. That builds a lot of discomfort around money and a lot of pressure. If you're assuming every move you make is going to be wrong, you're inevitably going to make mistakes because everyone does, by the way, and you're going to feel so bad about it that you're actually more likely to continue to make choices that aren't in your best interest. An example of this could be that Jenna keeps putting all of her paychecks towards debt payoff 
When she's in debt, she feels terrible about it. So instead of saving for the future, which would help them get out of the cycle, she keeps putting everything towards debt payoff, ensuring that they are always paying off what they've already spent instead of getting ahead. This is just one example. The idea here is that when you see your parents do something, you kind of internalize that, right? And in turn, start doing it yourself, maybe without realizing it. I've also seen situations where we're overcorrecting and doing like the opposite of what we see a parent do, right? So without knowing too much about Jenna's situation other than what she sent in, it could very well be that she is overspending because she has the feeling of what's the point? Everything I do is going to be wrong anyways. But what I've seen is people who see one parent always telling the other that they're overspending and they become so frugal with their money that it actually becomes painful for them to spend on the things that matter to them. Another pattern I see a lot with couples is the way one partner has no idea what life actually costs and so assumes the other one is overspending. I would imagine that this is exactly what happened with Jenna's parents because she said, you know, we had nice things, we didn't have anything crazy, but her dad was always assuming that it was being overspent. If there's one partner who does more of the household management, usually the mom in heterosexual couples, that partner might have more credit card debt related to what we can call household upkeep. And the other one will be like, why do you keep spending? Where is all this debt coming from? Life. <laughs> That's where the debt is coming from. Life. And it can cause a lot of fighting because the partner who is placing blame has no idea what life actually costs or is in denial that the lifestyle they are accustomed to is more than what they can afford. And this idea that there's a partner who has somehow spent their way to living above their means usually just isn't true. What really happens is that we get our first jobs having no idea what we can actually afford based on our take-home salary because nobody taught us this. And so we set our lifestyle according to what we think we should be able to afford because 20 to 30 years ago, that is probably what we could afford. But today, that's not the case. So we tend to overestimate how far our income will go. I used to do workshops um, for college students around creating a first job budget where I would show them like, hey, this is the salary that you're going to get. But this is what that actually means after retirement and health care and taxes. And it was really eye opening for them. And I remember like getting my first apartment when I got my first job as an actuary. I had a pretty high salary. And so I got an apartment based on the idea that I could afford more than all of my friends could without actually looking at what I would actually be able to afford based on my take home salary. We have an idea in our heads of what we can afford without actually looking at the numbers because nobody teaches us to. So fighting between partners makes a lot of sense, especially when we're placing blame on one partner for managing things wrong, when really they're doing the best they can, and especially when we saw our parents doing the same thing. We also don't know what Jenna's partner saw their parents doing growing up, so they are likely bringing in a completely different money story. Like, of course, it's hard to manage money together and have healthy money conversations. You're two very different people with complex histories, and no one sat you down before you got married to be like, hey, how do you want to manage money together? Cool, let's get aligned before we, like, sign stuff. Okay, so those are some of the emotions we have to consider that aren't talked about enough, and so they've been in the driver's seat without Jenna realizing it. The point there is that there's so much, right? Like, we, I just talked for 10 minutes. <laughs> about the emotions that are going into what's happening with them. 
And so the idea that Jenna like purposely made choices to get into credit card debt is just not true. So if you're sitting there right now and you've been feeling like absolute crap about yourself because of your credit card debt, I want you to go through this exercise of thinking of like all the things emotionally that led up to this. And we're going to get into some of the practical and external factors, too, because I want you to take some of that blame and shame off of yourself. It's going to help you have a more positive outlook moving forward. Okay, so let's talk about external factors that would lead parents of three earning $120,000 annually to have credit card debt and be stuck in that cycle. Of course, I have to start with childcare, right? Childcare costs were ridiculous before the pandemic, got worse in the pandemic, and I honestly don't even know what's normal <laughs> anymore. I live in Ohio too, like Jenna, and in June 2020, I was paying $3,000 per month for childcare for my four-year-old and my one-year-old. This was when, like, we didn't know what was safe. A lot of the daycare centers were still closed. It was a nightmare. I'll tell this story in another episode one day because I was actually faced with the choice of, like, do I shut down my business because childcare is so expensive? Um, and that's something that a lot of women have faced, as we know. So anyways, another episode. We talk about childcare all day. But I think it really shone a light on how many families struggle because they are paying exorbitant childcare costs so that both partners can work. I honestly feel like it's our society's way of saying we don't actually want women in the workforce, so we're going to punish them for wanting to work. Anyways, the current childcare costs in Ohio are about the same as public university tuition. I'm sure this is true in other states as well. For two children, the average range of childcare costs are between $10,000 to $20,000 annually. Nobody considers that when they get their first job or get married or get their first home. Nobody's like, okay, you can't actually afford that much house because when you have kids, you'll add basically a second mortgage payment in childcare. So let's break down the numbers here. If Jenna's household income is $120,000 gross, we can assume a take-home of about 60% of that after taxes, retirement savings, and healthcare premiums of a family of five, which, again, whole other episode. So that's take-home of about $72,000 annually. The average mortgage payment in Ohio is $10,000, which for a house that fits five people is probably low, but like we'll go with it. And the average childcare costs for two children are $15,000 annually. So that leaves Jenna and her partner about $47,000 to afford everything else every year. Car payments, groceries, entertainment, kids' activities, hobbies, utilities, subscriptions, personal care, clothes. There's a million other categories that I'm not even including there. But think about it. Like most of us choose our lifestyles and living situations based on what we assume our gross salary means we can afford. But if we don't look at the details, we end up barely having enough to cover everything. This is why between 60 to 80 percent of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Another pattern that I see really often, which may be what got Jenna into debt and keeps her family in debt, is using a credit card to pay for everything and then paying off the credit cards every month. And slowly over time, as our expenses increase, we can't cover all of the credit card payment every month and it starts to snowball. So all of a sudden, we have interest charges on top of the purchases we're putting on the credit card. And because we're still in the mindset that our lifestyle is reasonable, because it should be reasonable, but cost of living in our country is unreasonable, 
we realize how much credit card debt we actually have when it's too late and it's in the $10,000 or $20,000 range. And now it will take thousands of dollars a month to get out of it, which we don't have in the first place. It's almost like I've been there, right? Because <laughs> I have been there. This is not the level of financial education we receive at any point unless our parents take it upon themselves to sit us down and teach us. And that would require them to have learned this as well. So it's a cycle that didn't start with us, but it can end with us. Okay, so hopefully you're starting to feel a little bit better about your own situation and Jenna's situation because there's a million reasons why this happened. The story that she's just bad at money, not true. I'm not buying it. So in a perfect world, here's how getting out of Jenna's debt cycle would work. She would stop focusing so much on the debt as if it means something about her as a person and instead shift to focusing on her options for getting out of it. Wallowing in our own shame and blame makes it really hard to feel like we deserve help and a way out. And in doing this, we allow an untrue narrative to continue, which is that it's all our fault. Your debt does not mean you are a bad person. It doesn't mean you are bad at money. It means you are in circumstances where doing your best meant taking on debt. If you look at what you have, you know, Jenna described a beautiful home, three beautiful kids, food and shelter. She did all of that, right? You did all of that. And just because it included debt, it doesn't take away from what you were able to accomplish. And now you'll work to get out of it. We have to shift from the story that we are always cleaning up a mess or paying off what we've spent to a story where we are planning ahead and saving for our future needs. This is why when clients come to us with debt and they have no savings, we focus on the savings first. Here's how people think debt payoff works. You put your paycheck towards the debt payoff and then it's gone and you start fresh the next month with no debt. Yay. Here's what actually happens. If you put your paycheck towards the debt payoff and then it's gone, something else will come up, right? Life always happens, like a car breakdown or a speeding ticket or a subscription that you forgot about. And you'll have debt again, and you'll feel so crappy about yourself. Instead, if you tackle debt payoff by working on building your savings muscle while paying the minimums on your debt, you'll have money set aside for the small things that come up, and you won't have to add more debt because of them. And you'll start feeling like, wow, I can do this. I can plan ahead. I can save. This is why we see people who do debt consolidations or debt settlement continue to accrue debt because they haven't built their savings muscle and they're still in the habit of paying things off instead of planning ahead. Again, not something we were ever taught. I mean, I personally had a shiny pink credit card with diamonds on it sent to me from Discover when I was 21, and I didn't look back for like 10 years, right? So we're taught to put things on credit instead of saving, but this doesn't have to be your story going forward. And to be honest, I can put all of my expenses on credit cards now because I understand where my money is going at all times. I understand my limits for spending and I can manage it in a healthy way. But it was something that I had to learn through money coaching. I didn't have anybody teaching me that before. And so what you need to do with your money now to get out of debt might not be the way that you have to manage money forever. Now, you might be thinking, okay, got it. I'm going to save money while paying off the minimums on my cards so I can stop accruing more debt and get out of the cycle. But my minimums are thousands of dollars a month, so I barely have anything or don't have anything to put into savings after that. What do I do? 
You have two options here, and these are the options that it sounds like Jenna will have too. First, you can get really intentional about your spending. Everyone has a different tolerance for this. So some people know they overspend and cutting back on purchases will make them feel in control and good about how they're managing money. Other people are so sick of being told that they're overspending when really they're just providing a lifestyle for their family that they all love. If that's the case and you're not actually overspending, it's time to think about earning more money. Regardless of whether your instinct is to cut back on spending or earn more, you need to be super aware of where your money is going. Because again, this isn't something we're taught to do. So many of us are just going through life putting everything on a credit card and not paying attention. This is where I would have Jenna start. Map it out. Where is money going? Where do you want it to go? How much do you need to add to savings every month to start feeling comfortable that an unexpected expense won't go on the credit card? How much do you need to cut back or earn more in order to find money to put towards savings and debt payoff? These are the questions we want to answer. And to me, Jenna's question of whether or not she should take a 401k loan or a HELOC to pay off debt is really one of, but can they start to do things differently? If they aren't going to change their habits to be able to build up savings, then the 401k loan or the HELOC will just add to their debt, essentially robbing Peter to pay Paul and might offer temporary relief but won't get them out of the cycle, which is what we really want. It's hard to accept that there isn't a quick buyout from debt, but for many people that is the case. And finally, I would want to see Jenna include her partner in all of this. It is really unfair that this is her burden to carry alone, and it shouldn't be that way. But without knowing more of the dynamic in that relationship, it might be unsafe for her to just bring it up, so that's where having a mediator or a counselor involved might be a good idea. If you have a partner, even if you did the household and lifestyle spending that got your family into credit card debt, even if they were raised to be super frugal and never would have done that themselves, you are not a burden and should not carry the burden of this alone. You've been keeping your family happy and healthy and safe in a really unsafe world where the cost of living has grown beyond what we intuitively understand to be affordable and within our means. So keep your head up, Mama. Hopefully this gave you a new perspective on your credit card debt, how to think about it, and how to get out of it. I'll summarize the steps that I mentioned in the show notes. See you next time. Ready to experience money without shame? Then come follow me at Amy Schultz Money Coach for daily inspo on Instagram. I am truly grateful to be on this journey with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Want to be featured on a future episode or have your own money story to share? Send it to moneywithoutshame at gmail.com. See you next time.